Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, largely, we saw the grain and livestock markets mixed on the day Thursday as we continue to uh, trade in this holiday mode type environment and work our way towards Christmas. There are a few things we're watching, though. We're going to talk about it here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's show, we are going to have a conversation with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. As we move these markets towards the Christmas holiday in the final week of the year, we're going to uh, pick Brian's brain in terms of what he's seeing in this market. Uh, we'll talk, I'm sure, weekly export sales numbers that came out Thursday morning and just some of the overall kind of mixed activity throughout the grains and oil seeds and the livestock trade on Thursday. Soy complex was under some pressure while corn and Chicago wheat held up okay. Uh, watching these charts, so we putting in any added chart damage ahead of Christmas. We're going to talk about that. Also, I'll get Brian's thoughts on cattle and hogs here ahead of those big reports Friday afternoon. Uh, we'll probably try and touch on the dairy market trade as well. And I know this will be our final conversation of the year with Brian. So I'm looking forward to it here coming up in segment three and four today. Before that, in segment two, earlier in the week, I uh, talked with Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at Stone X on uh, an episode of AOA, Agriculture of America. And we talked about the news uh, from early in the week about Coke buying OCI's Iowa nitrogen plant for $3.6 billion. What are the market implications of that? We also touch on uh, just how fertilizer prices are looking and et cetera, et cetera, before the end of the year. We're going to listen back to that conversation with Josh Linville coming up here in segment two today. First up, though, let's get a little bit of market perspective from Thursday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen uh, just before midday on Thursday, and he shared his perspective on the trade, looking at grains and livestock. We talk about the dollar breaking, not necessarily being a tailwind for commodities. Uh, we start our conversation discussing just the overall holiday mode type of feel in the markets, and that's uh, something that Arlen agreed with. Here's Arlen Suderman from StoneX. It does. It has that holiday feel to it. Uh, but I do think it's noteworthy, the break we've seen in soybeans. At first glance, it doesn't look like that big a break, but it is doing some chart damage if you look at the March charts. And and, I, and that's a concern to me. And uh, uh, it's basically because of thunderstorm development in center west Brazil and and while some forecasters still are worried about whether, you know, we could have maybe a fourth of the soybean belt miss out on those rains, um, when you look at the models, they're the most encouraging that we've seen 
for a long time, maybe all growing season, that we could get some good widespread soaking rains in here. And that's kind of why the market's selling off. Now, if those rains fail, and, and they have started, but if they suddenly would fail, it'd probably be a different story. But so far, what we're seeing is rains continuing to spread and hit more dry areas of Brazil. Early soybeans won't benefit nearly as much as the the mid to late planted soybeans. They'll benefit a great deal. Think of it as being uh, the Midwest in um, perhaps uh, mid to late August and it's been dry and we're starting to get rain, what we could see happen there for the soybeans. Um, So this is a critical time for that. Otherwise, corn and wheat seen a little bit of a bounce, um, but overall the charts there looking vulnerable. I think it really speaks as well to the holiday type of mode here. The, the U.S. dollar has been breaking lower, and typically I see that and think, okay, that's going to be a tailwind here for commodities. But even with that breaking lower here on Thursday, just not a lot of movement in this grain trade, Arlen. Yeah, and the dollar's trading just above roughly five-month lows. And if we break below that level and see another leg lower, perhaps that'll give a pop to the grain and oil seeds. I do think as we go into 2024 that we have the opportunity here. We'll see if it plays out, but the opportunity for the funds to change their mindset from one of commodity deflation based on expectations of recession that hurts demand for commodities toward one of uh, maybe a rebound in inflation concerns and therefore a desire to own commodities. It doesn't mean I'm bullish the commodities, but it does mean that we might remove some of this bearishness uh, from these markets. We'll have to see how that plays out as we go deeper into 2024. But uh, for today, even the weaker dollar, which is notably weaker, is not really providing a lot of support for these grains. Over in the livestock arena, too, it's pretty quiet there as well as uh, weekly export sales looked okay, especially the pork side. Uh, but overall, just feels like we're squared up positions ahead of Friday afternoon's reports here, Arlen. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, just the general weakness across the board, a little bit of strength in the front end for uh, the February hog contract. But beyond that, it's general weakness. We got a couple of big reports coming out tomorrow afternoon after the markets close and ahead of a holiday break, which will be interesting. Um, but generally, an expectation is going to show that. Uh, we're, con- we're c- contracting the supply of beef with placements expected to be down. One of the reasons is is feedlots are full in many areas of, of the Plains feedlot belt and that we're continuing to contract the breeding herd for hogs. Um, but other than that, we're well supplied right now and a little bit of concern that you know, once we get past Christmas, uh, what might happen with the demand kind of leaking lower. And once again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, joined us for midday commentary on Thursday. Well, uh, something else we're keeping an eye on here. The story has been developing all week long. Uh, the issue with Customs and Border Protection closing the rail crossings at Eagle Pass and El Paso, Texas, and it's having a uh, pretty big impact here as we've uh, shut down uh, Uh, trains moving into Mexico and trains coming from Mexico and it's really uh, having an impact on rail commerce here at the border and a lot of folks in ag are speaking up about this Uh, also a lot of folks on Capitol Hill are 
speaking up about this. I know on Thursday, U.S. Senators Roger Marshall of Kansas, Pete Ricketts uh, from Nebraska, and six other Republican colleagues sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas demanding that the Biden administration reopen the railway commerce at the southern border as uh, there's been a lot of figures coming out that uh, more than $200 million in international commerce a day is uh, taking a hit here due to this uh, rail passes being closed. And it's an issue that many, many ag groups have uh, come out and spoke out against uh, over 40 some, almost 50 some ag groups have been uh, making their voices heard as well. And this is uh, something we've seen since Monday that uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has closed these uh, rail passes here in Texas as they moved uh, moved their agents to other parts of the border to handle the sharp increase in illegal immigration at the border. And so um, it's a big issue down here, but it is one that is impacting ag trade and it's something we're going to keep an eye on closely. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about fertilizer markets. Uh, we'll listen back to a recent conversation with Josh Linville from Stonex here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to Market Talk. As we continue our program earlier this week, I had a conversation with Josh Linville, the VP of Fertilizer at Stone X. As we talked about the news that uh, Coke has acquired OCI's Iowa nitrogen plant for $3.6 billion. We also talk about the fertilizer markets in general as we look to wrap up the year. Here is that conversation from earlier this week on AOA with Josh Linville from Stone X, starting with Coke acquiring OCI's Iowa nitrogen plant. Here's what Josh had to say about that. The most recent new nitrogen production facility in the U.S. that was built, uh, Weaver, Iowa. And this thing was completed back in, I think it was 17, 18. Well, uh, somebody decided it was a good time to exit the market stage right, and Coke had a few billion dollars laying around needing to invest somewhere. So, yeah, that news was announced yesterday, $3.6 billion for that facility. It was a little bit of a shock. There had been rumors that uh, they were possibly looking at selling, but nobody knew they were quite that close. Well, this news definitely catching headlines for multiple reasons, but one reason I think in particular it caught your eye and mine is that we got a lot of talk about transparency in the fertilizer market here. Just last week, we saw the fertilizer transparency bill introduced in the Senate, you know, looking at a quote-unquote lack of competition. And here we are kind of, you know, consolidating competition in the fertilizer market. So, I mean, I think that's going to be a big talking point here moving forward as this deal gets vetted, Josh. Yeah, I think that, you know, last week we had that uh, that bill, Grassley and a couple other senators put that forward, and everybody's going to like, okay, let's see what they do with this. Of course, you've got your naysayers saying, well, the government doesn't need to intervene, and others hopeful that something will come of it. But I don't think anybody dreamed it would be challenged quite this quickly, and that's going to be the big rally call, right? Everybody's going to say, this isn't fair. We, we are going to sit there and remove yet another competitor from the marketplace, and fertilizer's already one that is a monopoly, but it's controlled by relatively few parties. 
So yeah, we'll see what uh, see what the group does, if anything, with it. Every other one that has been merged, purchased, whatever the term they like to use, uh, has been greenlit very quickly. We'll see if it gets that same green light, or if there is a little bit of a flash in yellow on this one. Well, in terms of that bill uh, in the Senate, uh, it seems like D.C. Capitol Hills may be taking notice here finally of uh, all the volatility in this fertilizer market. Are you optimistic that that bill could lead to something positive here in the in the fertilizer markets, Josh? Uh, unfortunately, I, I hate to be a cynic, but unfortunately, no, I don't think that it will. Uh, on to start with. When you sit there and look at where we are today versus where the prices were at their highest point, which is March, April of 2022, we're already down fairly significantly. Um, you know, you've got urea, UAN, and hydrous potash are all down 60 to 65 percent from where they were. Uh, phosphate hasn't done quite the work; it's only about 42 and a half percent. So, a lot of the highest price situations are already behind us. The market has corrected. And the thing, I, there are a couple things I think that they could look at that could be interesting. Uh, the phosphate countervailing duty rates are still in place. Situations like this where monopolistic talks are going to be discussed. But overall, when you look at what's happened the last two, three, three and a half years, I mean, Jesse, how many times have we talked about it? I mean, most of these stories we're discussing, it's China, it's Russia, it's the Middle East, it's North Africa, it's Europe. It has nothing to do with the U.S.-specific storyline. So what my fear is, we're going to get this attention. We're going to get all this work. We're going to get all this done. And they're just going to come back and say, oh, this is all an international situation. We can't stop that. Well, Josh, let's talk a little bit more about where the fertilizer markets stand currently. And I think as we near the end of the year, uh, watching logistics first, um, you know, we got a lot of talk of low water on the Panama Canal. We have issues in the Red Sea now. So some global factors there. We still got lower levels on the Mississippi River. I mean, Talk to me about logistics. Are you concerned with uh, the current state of logistics, not only around the world, but here in North America? Uh, as far as around the world, fortunately, there always are alternate routes, right? You can go around the south tips. It's going to take a little bit longer, but ultimately, you can find your way around the world if you've got the time to plan on it. Here at the U.S., actually, I'm in a better mood about it. When you look at the NOAA uh, river level map for the U.S., there's a lot of green out there. Now, if you go into individual points, you start looking at Memphis and different places like that. It is very close to dropping into that low water level, but it's been staying above. It's been staying green and we continue to get decent little rain shots across the Midwest. And that's what we're going to need all the way through winter. We need these little shots of rain to kind of work its way down the river, keep flows back up at somewhat normal levels. It, it, it's a stopgap, right? We still need to get the snowpack. We still need to get a lot of rain up north, refill the tributaries. But so far, so good. I really hope that we can maintain this uh, this progress like we've been doing so far. Josh, let's talk about some of these markets uh, in particular. I know we watch nitrogen quite a bit. Uh, any news or notes on the on the nitrogen side here as we near the end of the year? No, it's actually gotten a little quiet. That's been nice. Uh, internationally, there's not been a whole lot of business that's really pressured the market one way or another. Uh, everything's just been very quiet. Everybody's just waiting for that next round of big demand. I, everybody's watching India. Uh, here domestically, um, urea values have dropped down into very, very attractive levels when we look at it versus grains. UAN is pretty good. Um, and Hydra's fill and prepay programs for the spring have come out. They're going to be on the high side. We just had a tremendously large fall run. In fact, I think we just ran our demand models yesterday. According to our forecast for this fall, this will be the third biggest fall run that we've had for anhydrous starting back to 2000. 
So that's emptied the warehouses, uh, emptied the storage facilities. And the market is going to struggle to refill that system and get ready for springtime. So manufacturers came out with their program higher price than what we expected because supplies are tight. What about phosphate, potash, other uh, fertilizer inputs, any news notes there, or is it quiet like uh, the rest of the marketplace? Quiet for the most part. Uh, phosphate prices are still high uh, when we compare it against historical values, when we compare it against grain values. I mean, any way you skin it, phosphate is high price, and there's just no way around it. And I had been hopeful that we were going to see prices starting to dip down as we started to move into Q1, Q2. At least for Q1, that no longer looks like it's the case. You know, there's some global fears we might lose uh, Chinese exports like they've cut back on the urea exports. Uh, demand is still sufficient enough to make up for the lack of supply out there. And overall, we still have these countervailing duty rates in place. China, Russia, and Morocco, three of the largest exporting phosphate nations in the world, we still have duty rates against them. So it's very difficult for them to justify coming here. Now, we've seen tons come from around other places around the world, but the number of tons they can export drops way off after you get past those three. Uh, potash, really well priced. Uh, there's really no reason for that price to drop anytime soon. And in fact, we're kind of expecting that thing to start rallying a little bit. Josh, I know it's uh, meeting season. It's getting towards the end of the year. A lot of folks are going to be looking at their books and uh, trying to figure things out, booking inputs for next year, et cetera. Uh, what are you hearing from customers as they attend the meetings around the countryside? Are they concerned about booking high input costs here right now? Are they trying to book input costs? I mean, what's kind of the word on the street right now, Josh? There's going to be a little bit more demand, and that's really going to pick up here this week, next week, uh, first week or two after the new year. we got a lot of prepaid money that's going to start flowing through that system as farmers try to spend on one side or the other of New Year's for tax purposes. And so we're really watching for that. And so far, I mean, the general sense has been urea, UAN, uh, potash are all fairly well. We're not seeing a lot of kickbacks as far as that goes. Now, we all know it could always be cheaper, right? But in terms of where the market is, where grain markets is, it's largely being accepted and said, hey, these are pretty good. Phosphate, there's a little bit of pushback. And hydrous, we're seeing quite a bit of pushback as far as where the programs were released. So it's going to be interesting to see how demand step forward with those. But yeah, it, like I said, it's a little bit of a mix. But overall, we're expecting things to pick up here in the next few weeks. We start to see a little bit of international activity. We start to see those dollars flow through the U.S. system, and we'll see what happens. Any thoughts for folks uh, in terms of as they kind of sit down with a pencil and, and start to look at things here? I know the next couple of weeks, a lot of folks will do that uh, during the holidays as they have a little more time. I mean, any recommendations or just thoughts in general for folks to keep in mind right now as they're looking at fertilizer? I still, you know, I'm a big advocate for if we're going to lock up that fertilizer, look at selling some of that grain against it. Um, one of my big fears is that we're going to look at the fertilizer markets and say, yeah, they're decent, but I'll go ahead and buy some of the fertilizer, but I'm not going to do anything of the grain because we all think grain is always up and to the right. You know, if we just wait a little bit longer, that price is going to come back. But what happens to that purchase of fertilizer if we do start seeing grain prices drop? Let's say Brazil has a better situation than we think, or we start to have more acres expected for next year. And December 24 has been holding in with a five handle for quite a while. If that starts dipping into four, the whole outlook changes. So, again, we're always talking about the value of it. It's the input and the output side. Um, just doing one side or the other is just speculation. If we're looking at doing the input side, let's look at a little bit of the output, lock in that value for next year. And when you look at urea, UAN potash, you know, if that turns out to be the worst value you lock up next year, that's good. I, I come back and yell at me because that means you've had a very, very good year.
And once again, that was a conversation I had earlier this week with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer with Stone X on AOA. Appreciated uh, Josh's time talking through the fertilizer markets and more. Okay, coming up next, we are going to uh, discuss Thursday's market action and talk about what we're watching in the market trade as we near the end of the year. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing joins us next here on Market Talk. Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System Specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance, too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen well joining us now for a conversation about what's happening in this market trade as we near the holiday break in front of us we are joined today by brian doherty senior market advisor at total farm marketing and brian great to have you back with us on the show here this week and uh Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and yours, Brian. It's, uh, you know, largely kind of a mixed day as we're nearing that Christmas holiday. And it, for the most part, kind of just feels like that holiday malaise has settled into these markets, hasn't it? It, it feels like that. And I've often wondered if that isn't overrated and people say that. But, uh, boy, it sure has had that connotation here this this week, Jesse, where things have just been kind of gliding down. Corn did pick up a little ground today, but didn't have that real strong punch into the close. While it did finish two and three quarters higher in March at 472 and a half, range uh, was rather small today. And, you know, we're hopeful maybe we'd see some short covering of consequence into the close, but that didn't seem to happen. It just seemed to drift. Same thing with beans, drifted lower down anywhere 13, uh, 14 cents. And then over in the wheat, did hold up, but small gains, three to five cents in Chicago wheat. As we look at these markets here, I want to start on soybeans because that's where we saw some of the biggest losses on the day Thursday. Uh, as you look at the charts here, are you worried that we've put in some additional chart damage here in this kind of thin market environment, Brian? Uh, I am. Um, I am. I've got a what we call a head and shoulders formation on my charts. It's kind of obvious to everybody out there that the neckline was violated yesterday or today. So yesterday's low was kind of testing it. Maybe it violated, but today certainly went through that neckline. That's concerning to me. Um, we're trading now at our lowest price since October. And yet we've had this weather uncertainty and growing concern of droughty conditions. But uh, it seems like, uh, like like it does here in the U.S. too. It seems we continue to put in additional concerns for weather, uh, only to keep having to push back and push back and get some scattered rains. And, and maybe the markets have cried wolf one too many times here in dry weather. But, uh, but it's not ideal in parts of South America, but it's a big country and a big region. And I think that um, heading into the Christmas holiday, at least, the market's a little bit more defensive, anticipating some of this rainfall will be beneficial. And that's a big thing I've been watching, too, is that it, it largely feels like, especially in this soy complex, that traders, a lot of folks, if they've kind of gone to the sidelines here ahead of Christmas, they're they're going to be watching South American weather and just 
really waiting to see if these rains do in fact verify here through the end of the year. I think that's really the big catalyst in front of us here in terms of you know what this market direction could look like as we roll the calendar in 2024, Brian. Yeah, and, and so so that's where the tone sets. First of all, is what happens in Brazil and Argentina. Um, so in Brazil, you get the weather concerns. Some private estimates are talking about the mid 150 million metric ton USDA's in that 162, 163 area. 160 was just a little under 163, I think, last month. Um, lack of good solid, what I'd call blanket coverage of rain has the bulls kind of scratching their head why the market's drifting a little bit here. It does look like that as you look at uh, rain maps and, and I mean, there's certainly some, some moisture, uh, but continuing to be a, a bigger problem in, in regions, again, the Mato Grosso region in particular. And so, so it's interesting that, um, that the market just uh, has kind of taken this negative, um, let's call it tone, but it is the holidays. The um, the bean, as you said, though, the bean chart has me concerned. And when I look at March soybeans closing today at 1301 and three quarters, Jesse, we're still well off the low from last spring of 1145. So if I'm holding on to beans and a lot of them right now, I might I might be starting to give up uh, or at least have a little less grip on some of these beans anticipating that the market is expecting big production out of the southern hemisphere as a whole i know weekly export sales numbers looked fairly okay it looked everything looked like it was within pre-report estimate ranges uh, on the grain side and, and the livestock numbers looked okay too is there any notes that stood out to you in the weekly export sales brian well just the cumulative numbers so when i say cumulative the last week's numbers in soybeans really had a nice tone to it. Um, I know it was expected, but 73.1 million bushels, that's a lot of bushels, serving behind last year quite a bit, 1.299 versus 1.555 last year. So about 255 million. Corn, on the other hand, just a sliver under 400 million bushels, um, uh, well ahead of last year, um, last year's pace. So last year, 812 this year, 1109. Let me just double check my math there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 300 million bushels. So nice numbers in corn, good pace in corn. Uh, when you look at that, that differential, you know, running roughly 40% ahead of last year at this time. So good numbers, but what we're not seeing is we're not seeing any like home runs in, on the weekly numbers. And whether that's a function of just no urgency on the end user's part, or if that's a function of ample supplies that are available elsewhere in the world. So let's say a China keeps taking some of its share from here and there. And, and um, but the re- I think just the, the reality we need to face is that we've got competition worldwide, more wheat out of Russia and Ukraine expected in the year ahead, more problematic supply issues with soybeans between Argentina and Brazil, as well as corn. So I don't want to be negative, Nelly, but I don't have a lot of positive ammunition right now. On the corn market, uh, I wonder if you're seeing anything in this market, whether it be on the charts or just anything else you're seeing here. Uh, Some folks have floated the idea to me that 
if any market could see somewhat of a Santa Claus rally, quote unquote, it might be this cord market, Brian. But I wonder, are, are you seeing anything that could indicate this corn market could move anywhere beyond just the choppiness we've seen here this week? I, I'm not. I, I, I'm hopeful. And, you know, if the bears are kind of trying to add a little bit here, but the bulls are just kind of sleeping and ready to jump in and kind of run this thing back up. Uh, you know, looking at the markets every day, it, you get kind of conditioned. You just expect that things are going to be sideways to lower, and that's the way they've been. Probably the thing that really sticks out for me is September corn futures went off the board about 462. And here you've got December corn futures even lower than that, 457-ish. And what does that mean for the back months? It just means that we continue to sort of see that conveyor belt move forward. Um, we've heard from lots and lots and lots and lots of different sources that farmer selling has this year been as light as ever, or at least in recent history as far as forward selling. There was a lot of reason for that. So there's a lot of farmers with a lot of inventory on hand. So the question is, you know, are they going to bury their head in the sand and wait for something to drive the market higher? You know, time is not necessarily their friend in the long run. In the short term, maybe they can hold out. But I think there's also an opinion out there that the USDA may not be done raising yield on corn. That could show up in January. And that once we flip over into January, there'll be a lot of farmers who deferred or wanted to defer sales into the new year. And so I'm just not seeing anything today that gets me too excited about, even though corn's a good value to, to end users, that the end user is going to say, I just better get it bought at all costs and I need to secure it. And even if I have to pay more, I'm going to get it done. I'm just not seeing that urgency, unfortunately. And to that point, too, it still seems to me like there's a decent amount of carry in this market. But again, not a lot of farmers taking advantage of that carry to some degree, Brian. Not a lot of farmers. There's farmers selling, and that's part of what's keeping the market in check as well, that that the, the end user is aggressively buying. So when the, when the elevator, as an example, when an elevator purchases corn, if you sell them, Jesse, 15,000 bushels and, you know, for May delivery or you sell the carry, um, they don't have a buyer lined up right away. They're going to be hedging that corn. So it adds, again, a little pressure in the marketplace. Um, and... And if you're a buyer and end user out there, the market just is continuing the signal. You don't have to get ahead of your skis here and, and buy too much too quick. Another way to interpret that is let the farmer store it. And um, we'll, we'll buy, but we'll let them store until we need it. Well, good thoughts and a great conversation so far with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing. Brian, uh, hang on with us. We're going to talk at the other side of the break and uh, look at livestock, dairy, and wrap up our conversation here today. So uh, stick with us. We'll get back to Brian Doherty here in just a few minutes. Look at a uh, closing uh, report here, closing numbers from Thursday's trade. Kind of a mixed bag, as we've been mentioning. Corn for March up two and three quarters, 472 and a half. July corn up two and a half, 495. January beans down 11, 1297 at a quarter. March beans down 14, 1301 and three quarters. January bean meal down 450 a ton, 395, 40. Bean oil for January down 152 points at 4904. 
In the wheat trade, March Chicago wheat up two and a half, six twelve and a half. July up three and three quarters, six thirty one and three quarters. March Kansas City wheat up one and three quarters, six twenty six and three quarters. We look at July KC wheat down one and a half at six thirty three. Minneapolis spring wheat. We see March down three and three quarters, seven fourteen and a quarter. July down two and a half at seven thirty three. Livestock, live cattle for December up 52, 170.55. February down 162, 168.67. January feeders down 235, 221.70. March down 237, 223.37. February hogs 42 higher, 70.65. April hogs just up two cents, 76.95. We'll be back with more here with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Brian, a few uh, more thoughts from you before we wrap up today's program. Livestock trade, uh, cattle and hogs largely to me feel like uh, Thursday's action was uh, positioning ahead of uh, the big reports Friday after the close. Interesting timing on those numbers because, you know, whether you think something's baked into this market already or not, you know, we've got a three-day weekend coming up after a cattle on feed and a quarterly hogs and pigs report in front of us. That's going to be quite interesting. Uh, your thoughts on cattle first as we look at this dynamic in front of us right now. Yeah, somewhat perplexing. If you think back a little bit to when cattle prices were marching higher and higher and the stock market was, you know, looking kind of lousy and uh, uh, just not a lot of confidence maybe in that the interest rates would would ease up and all of a sudden you kind of fast forward to now and it's looking like well like equities have been on fire they did post a very big reversal yesterday um downward but the the cattle market has been stuck in or entrenched in this downtrend and real volatile real jumpy and so we anticipate it'll probably take some time but a couple of things to note one is we just haven't had any adverse weather at all in cattle producing countries so so typically in that kind of november december there's a day or two where or the, where what i'd call it's called evaporation days where just be, due to nasty weather conditions we evaporate weight gain there's no weight gain out there and it's hard to move cattle haven't seen that too um Although the stock market has rallied a lot, I think there's a lot of apprehension in the economy in general, and that seems to be sifting through whether it's cheese demand or dairy product demand, whether it's beef supplies, and that's keeping the market somewhat volatile and edgy. Um, I'd like to think that the the bigger picture trend has um, some pretty good uh, cash markets underneath and asking prices higher than the current trades, but uh, I'll tell you, this cattle complex is is a bit perplexing this year. Yeah, it might be that maybe I want to be a little friendlier to the market than it is showing right now, but we still think there's a really good chance that you'll probably see that 50% correction on April cattle. Put those back into that 182 level. That's about a $10 rally. We're about $7 off the low, so we need to we need to see that giddy up and go. 
but a lot of back and forth, which just tells me it's more of a how we talk about holiday. Holiday trade is like this up one day, down the next volatile, but not going anywhere fast. Well, speaking of not going anywhere fast, that's the hog market, I think, largely the last couple of months. Uh, and I'm not seeing much of anything uh, with the estimates for this quarterly hogs and pigs report that could really jolt this market at all. Hogs have just been dismal, Brian. A any notes there that you can think of? Yeah, well, as I analyze and we analyze and then you look at um, or talk to some producers. So, so we don't have the ready flow producers like corn. Where's a lots of producers because just the nature of the industry, but in talking to the hog producers, you know, they've been pretty kind of down and out for a while. They're working in the red mostly. Um, they, they just push the envelope too far in production without pullbacks. Um, call it efficiency, call it what you want, call it a demand market that hasn't picked it up. So they're still on a daily basis. If you watch the daily slaughter numbers, and we'll probably see confirmation of this here on the quarterly hogs and pigs report, but we're still seeing just what I call just a few more hogs than the market seems to need. And that has been the struggle. Why the front month is as weak as it is, as it is. Now, what I would try to tell a hog producer though, is don't lose sight of the premium that the back months that you get $93 uh, July and August hogs. That's good premium historically. That's a good price. It's not as good as those contracts have been, but they haven't been a whole lot higher. The best we've ever the mustard lately is about just a little bit under 97. So keep an eye on those back months. Brian, any notes in the uh, dairy parlor for us here before we run out of time today? Just a very sluggish, very weak demand market. Cheese continues to erode. Uh, if you take a look where cheese prices are, uh, you can try to extrapolate out what that could mean for milk. Cheese prices are priced that if you take the value of cheese and I take the blocks and barrels, add them together, divide it by two, and then times it by 10. That's in theory what 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 we probably should see for uh, milk futures. And you've got both at about a buck 39 right now. So that means about $14 milk, $13.90, $14 milk. The board in January is $15.46 and in March milk at $15.54. Not good prices, but still above where the cheese index is showing. So, um, you know, there's just no sign that the cheese market has found its low here. Unfortunately, and butter's been on a big decline. Spot whey prices have been on the on the kind of the one area that's been supportive, but here in the last week or two, also weighing or, or sifting to the sidelines, starting to drop lower. So we just got to get these products turned around. It's hard to believe that with such a big sell-off that it, that's not going to work its way into the pipeline. But remember, retailers are slow to bring prices down. So it'll get there, but it's not there yet. Brian, uh, we do appreciate your time uh, here greatly each and every week on Market Talk uh, throughout the year. And uh, no doubt, look forward to more conversations in 2024. Before we let you go, anything final you'd want to share here today? Um, if I'm a bean producer, just be very watchful of this market. Um, I would stick to strategy. I would sell cash. We've been talking about this for months. Sell cash, buy a call or a bull call spread, quantify your risk, stay in the game. I'm just leery of the market. That looks like a market that if it breaks, might have another 50 cents to a dollar down pretty quick. So I think I'll end on that somewhat sobering note. 
uh, as well as just uh, want to thank you for the opportunity to to be part of this and uh, wish you you and your uh, audience a, a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Well, thank you. And same to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I know folks can reach out 800-334-9779 or go online, totalfarmmarketing.com. Brian Doherty, thanks as always for the time and uh, Merry Christmas again. We will talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. And that's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Coming up on our next program, Christy Van On Shesis with Van On and Company will join us. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System Specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.